0: If you love how Dan Rather unravels amazing true stories, you got to check out Music's Greatest Mysteries. That podcast will really get you thinking. Welcome to Dan Rather's The Big Interview, the thought-provoking podcast with in-depth interviews with music and cultural icons only Dan Rather can deliver. Each episode will bring you exclusive in-depth interviews from classic rock, country and alternative. We cover it all right here on Dan Rather's The Big Interview. So sit back and enjoy these magnificent stories from the artists that lived it. Here's your host, Dan Rather.
1: Tonight on The Big Interview, Jane Lynch, one of Hollywood's most recognizable stars has made a career by playing characters who are willing to say things most of us would never dream of saying. I was tempted to try something with you. Okay. But I lost my nerve.
2: Oh no, do it, do it. Jump off the cliff.
1: Yet Lynch's life has not always been about laughs. Like her decades long struggle to come to terms with her sexual identity.
2: I didn't tell my parents until I was 31. Yeah, I was really deeply ashamed and afraid.
1: Movie and television star, Emmy, and Golden Globe winner, Jane Lynch. Tonight, on The Big Interview. If there's any actress who fights the conventional Hollywood obsession with youth, it's Jane Lynch.
0: You think this is
2: Hollywood?
1: Her breakout role as a caustic cheerleading coach turned high school principal on the Fox hit Glee came at the age of 49, a time when many actors and actresses are finding it difficult to find work at all. She grew up in the Midwest, now lives in Los Angeles.
2: Uh, And
1: And at six feet, she cuts as imposing a presence off screen as on. Well, first of all, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. I recently sat down with Jane Lynch in Hollywood, where she discussed her glee character, the indomitable Sue Sylvester. With seasons full of famous politically incorrect one-liners,
0: You think this is
2: hard? Try being waterboarded, that's hard.
1: It has become the role of a lifetime, and it was written specifically for Jane Lynch. And once again,
2: I am making fun of your incredibly stupid hairdo.
1: Did you say to yourself, when they ask you to read for it or to take this role, boy, that's just the role for me, I'm yeah. the right person at the right time to do this?
2: Yes. I love big stuff, I love huge choices, and um, uh, y- you know, and I love that I was going to be wearing a tracksuit. Um, that just in itself says so much about this person. You know, She has a freaking uniform. She thinks she's in the special forces. You know, she's done a lot. of. She coached Hillary Clinton in debate. You know, she's got this whole thing that she makes up about herself. And, uh, you know, she kind of sees herself as larger than life and has her own movie going on at all times in which she is the, um, the hero and uh, fighting battles. And even if there is not a battle in front of her, she will create one. I love that.
1: A lot of us can relate to that. That is to say, you know, life is pretty mundane today, but I want to imagine I'm the hero. Yeah. I sink the shot with, at the buzzer that wins the game. Exactly. Or I score the touchdown that wins the game.
2: And for some reason, everybody is afraid of her and believes her. <laughs> you know, and they're afraid to, like, you know, antagonize her.
1: Well, did you know anybody like this coming up, or is this straight out of your imagination? Uh, well,
2: I, you know, I, because I get asked it a lot now, I had to really think about it, and yes. I had a teacher at Illinois State. Her name was Jean Scharfenberg and she was grand and cruel and she could tear you apart with a look and she had an english accent but she was raised in iowa and she was you know studied with um Uda uh, 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 Hagen, or actually, she's probably contemporary of Uda Hagen, but she knew all of those people, and here she is in the cornfields of Illinois, kind of holding forth, and everybody was afraid of her. She would walk down the hall, and people would look away. You wanted her to notice you, but then again, you didn't. You were—it was one of those things where everybody was frozen. And um, I, you know, as I uh, got older, and I realized, you know, she did it with a kind of a a little bit of a wink, and uh, was a wonderful teacher, but uh, really
1: tough. And building off of her memories, Lynch has created one of the most unique characters on television. Let's review some of your favorite lines. Okay. Uh, From Glee, if you like, or wherever. What are some of your favorite lines?
2: Oh, let's see. Well, from Glee, one of my favorite lines is, I go up to um, uh, Chris Colfer's character, Kurt, the gay kid, and um, I say, uh, loving musical theater doesn't make you gay. It just makes you awful. was <laughs> a good one. Um, and I love saying... Vicious. <laughs> ambitious And then um, I have uh, uh, Diana Agron, who plays my head cheerleader, and she's gorgeous, like, breathtakingly gorgeous. And I'm, uh, I sit across from her at my desk, and I say, you remind me of a young Sue Sylvester, but without my bone structure. That's a good one. And then both she and Santana are in my office and they have failed Uh, um, on a mission I'd sent them. And I say, this is what we call a total disaster, ladies. I'm going to ask you to smell your armpits. That's the smell of failure. And it's stinking up my office. (laughs) Or another one. I've decided I will no longer be carrying photo ID. You know why?
1: People should know who I am. With that attitude, you could anchor in a major market.
2: You know? yeah, I probably <laughs> could, yep. Actually, probably not a major market, probably a really small, small market, you know, where you... <laughs> where they're, they're, they're a lot
1: uh, bigger than they think. A lot. <laughs> yes. So how did you get to Hollywood in the big time?
2: I was doing a, a show called The Real Live Brady Bunch with a bunch of my friends. Um, we took the scripts from The Brady Bunch off the TV and we put them on stage, and we were a huge hit. People lined up for blocks to watch us act this show out that we all grew up with and that we all idealized as a child, and we kind of made fun of, um, but it actually was kind of an an homage to that show. Oh, that's very funny, Martha. Oh, you are a devil. (laughs) yeah, right, Martha.
1: Honey, could you come here? Oh, Martha,
2: I've got to go.
1: Time goes along and yes. you're making a living. Yeah. You do voiceovers, you do commercials, yep. you do uh, small independent films, yep. you have know, bit parts and other films, but you haven't cracked through to the big time.
2: Right. As much as there was a part of me wanting to be famous and get big jobs, I was kind of happy. I was, um, I felt successful. I was doing sketch. With my friends and I, I had created a one-person show with three other people, <laughs> and, um, and it was a it was a, a great it was a great time. It was, I it was probably one might argue my most creative time, and hopefully I have more creative times to come. But I had kind of um, a little bit of a restlessness, but that restlessness was to keep creating and um, I was in great therapy. I was learning a lot about myself and I was embracing all of this stuff that was kind of hiding away in the shadows and that's where my work was coming from. So there was a profound change in how I was creating characters was I was actually literally pulling from myself and unashamedly and going, this is what I think and this is is the part of me that I'm afraid and I was putting it into, into characters and I found the audience going, yeah me too or i know somebody like that (laughs) Um, and that's when things really changed for me in terms of my work it became much more profound
1: for me but it was a chance encounter that would ultimately change the course of her career
2: i was doing commercials a lot of commercials at that time it was kind of my time uh, or i'd hit some you know some was riding some wave in commercials and I had a callback for a Kellogg's Frosted Flakes commercial, and it turns out Christopher Guest directs commercials all the time, and his name was now underneath the... It said, Callback for Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, director Christopher Guest, and I was like...
1: (sighs) Director Christopher Guest has created some of the most legendary ensemble comedy films of the last few decades, like This is Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman. Now... He would be directing lynch in a commercial
0: frosted flakes are about so much more than just great taste Mm -hmm. i mean there's that and then there's tony you know Mm -hmm.
1: lynch knew her commercial could be her big break
2: oh and we just love kellogg's frosted flakes we're breaking for lunch uh the day of the the shoot with for the kellogg's frosted flakes commercial and um chris said uh came up to me he said you know i do movies and i was like yeah, I know.
1: I'm doing commercials today, but you know I do. Right, movies, I, you yeah. know,
2: yeah, right. <laughs> I think it was just, yeah, he's trying to, you know, he's he's a funny guy. He's a, a man of few words. You know, I do movies, and I would, uh, you know, maybe we'll get to work someday. And I said, oh, I would love that, and that would that was enough. Well, not really, but I mean, it would have been enough. If it were enough, if that were all, that would have been enough. But anyway, it was about uh, probably six months later, I was having coffee at a particular coffee shop. He walked in and he said, Oh, I forgot about you. Um, You know, I'm doing this movie. Come to my office. And by the end of the day, he had cast me in Best in Show. And I always think, What if I had gone to this coffee shop instead of that coffee shop? I would have never met him. And, you know.
1: Jane Lynch had been discovered. The movie Best in Show is a mockumentary about the competitive dog show circuit, and Lynch portrayed a self important and super competitive dog trainer.
2: What is this It seemed
1: almost a role she was born to play.
2: And we have a uh, little bit of a family dynamic going here. And pretty mm-hmm. much mirrors what I grew up with, you know. My, uh, my father was the, uh, the uh, taskmaster, the, the disciplinarian, which is it. what I do. I'm Total the mommy slash daddy. That's right. Like Mr. Punishment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, and also mm-hmm. reward.
1: What did you like about that role? Did you, did you think to yourself, I'm pretty much playing myself?
2: Yeah. Well, I, at that point, I was smart enough and hip to the jive that you pull from yourself. And the best stuff comes from your own experience. So I took that part of me that always wanted to matter, to count, that, you know, I wanted the people at home to see that I had made something of myself. And, all, and I, there's a, a, a monologue that I did that was cut, I think it's in the extras, where I say, and, and I hope that all those people in Romulus, New York, my hometown, I hope all those people who are gonna see me take this title for the third time on national television, you know, and, and I hope that, and I hope that they're all fat. And I hope that they they're are all, all fat. Yeah, and married to people that they hate. <laughs> and I hope that they wish that they had been nicer to me. <laughs> so I used that part of myself that was like those who told me I couldn't do what I wanted to do or ignored me and didn't think I was special. And I was like, someday I'm going to show them all. So I kind of based Christy Cummings um, on that aspect of, of my own journey.
1: Another famous director Lynch has worked with is Judd Apatow, who memorably cast her as an electronics store manager in the hit 2005 film, The 40 Year Old Virgin.
2: Are you still a virgin? Oh, you know, I don't really talk about my personal life. Yes, I am. Yeah.
1: Steve Carell, an old friend of Lynch, played the title character, a middle aged man looking for his first intimate experience of love.
2: Well, it was another one of those instances where a role was written, originally written for a man, and uh, God bless Nancy Walls, the wife of Steve Carell and a wonderful actress in her own right, said, Steve, you need some women in your movie, and they called me into audition, and we improvised, and and they gave me the role, and it was it was amazing, and I had never met Judd, and, you know, I was a big fan of uh, Judd Apatow, I was a big fan of Anchorman, and, um, you know, I it was it was a it was a one of those huge moments again, like the Christopher Guest thing, huge. And it was uh, we improvised a lot. We had a lot of fun. And Seth Rogen was great, and always sitting there writing jokes and uh, you know adding. And uh, I got great direction from Judd behind the camera, and he gave me some of my best lines. And it was great. It was a very heady, wonderful experience. Um, every day that we shot in the Smart Tech Store. Everybody was called in. So you weren't just, even if you weren't on the call sheet, you know, there, your scene was on the call, he had you there. He would say, you know, Jane, get in there, or Seth, get in there. And, you know, so I was in more scenes than I was in the script, and it was so much fun. He serenaded me with a beautiful old Guatemalan love song. Really? That's.
1: Mm. That
2: sounds nice. Cuando regla mi cuarto, no encuentro nada. Donde pa con tanta prisa. A partido de su Okay. Oh, my goodness. I think we better get back to work yeah yeah I better go back to work yeah so okay all right
0: so you mull it over all right I
2: will thank you you.
0: thanks for listening to Dan Rather's the big interview we'll be right back with more from Jane Lynch welcome back to Dan Rather's the big interview today's guest is Jane Lynch
1: In film and on television, Jane Lynch has carved out a reputation for playing characters who will say things most people won't.
2: Such a smart ass.
1: And often what she says is unexpected. He's got a great body. And for mature audiences only.
2: I think I might have a solution for you.
1: Hmm.
2: You ever heard of the term, fuck the buddy?
1: I was tempted to try something with you. okay but I lost my nerve.
2: Oh no, do it, do it. Jump off the cliff. Well,
1: this is where way it's going to be. Let's have fun with this. Okay. Talk dirty to me.
2: <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I wish I knew how to talk dirty. My characters talk dirty better than I do.
1: Well, tell me something that I don't know about you and that you think oh. most people don't know about you.
2: Well, let's see. Wow. I know a lot about Greta Garbo. She's my favorite actress. Um, I'm, uh, what you might not know, and don't ask me any questions because I'm inarticulate about it, I've been studying quantum physics. Um, I have kind of, uh, from the spirituality bent, and um, how it's science and spirit come together in quantum physics, and um, it's, it's quite, uh, sometimes I find myself reading it, and I'm just bathed in bliss, and it just, it makes me so happy.
1: You read quantum physics. I do, You're only the second person that I've interviewed in the last quarter of century who reads quantum physics. The other is a Dalai Lama who studies quantum physics. Yeah, we have a lot in common,
2: the Dalai Lama, (laughs) and I think you'll find if you line us up, there's a lot.
1: Well, who knew? How did you get into reading quantum physics?
2: Well, I guess my um, um, I've, I've been a seeker my whole life. I'm trying to make sense of things and um, I'm one of those people who tries to put things in order because I get overwhelmed.
1: Did you have physics in high school or college? No,
2: not at all. I didn't, I, you know, I, and I will admit here on national television that I, um, cheated my way through chemistry. Um, I don't have a math head, I don't have a science head, but I, I have a curiosity and I find that my curiosity usually leads me where I need to go. And it's led me here.
1: Well, when did you get really interested in being an actress?
2: Uh, from the get-go, it's something that was there. You know how some people like to throw a ball and catch it, and I always wanted to impersonate, and I wondered what made, made people tick. You know, why does why does my dad put his shoes on like that? How interesting how he puts them on. It, my dad was a ritualistic kind of guy, and I loved watching him, and he enjoyed it. He'd put on his socks one at a time. He'd put on his shoes, and he'd tap his shoe, and he'd take the Brill Cream and go... And he'd go, yeah, handsome, and he'd do something with his tie a certain way, and I loved watching that. And my mom had her way, too. It was less ritualized, a little more random, a little more chaotic, and I was fascinated with that, and that kind of led me to um, observing people in human
1: nature and... You know, you mentioned Brill Cream. Yeah. I remember about Brill Cream is they had a commercial, Brill Cream, a little dab will do you.
2: A little dab will do you. We still use that, and people don't know that it's from Brill Cream. A little dab will do you.
1: But you were saying that you had this curiosity very yes. early, and that you knew you wanted to, to do impersonations, that is, be an actress. hmm. Now, was there a point where you said to yourself, yeah, that's a dream, but I'm never going to be able to live that dream?
2: Yes, my mother informed me of that. <laughs> and she, she always regretted this, but I was sitting at the dining room table, and I actually had a list of um, uh, agents. In, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and I somehow got a list of agents from Screen Actors Guild, and I was 12 years old, and I had gone downtown and gotten this list, and I was writing casting directors in Chicago and my mother said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing casting directors. You know, I'm gonna be an actress. She said, oh, honey, not everybody gets to do what they wanna do. And I burst into tears. And she said, but I'm sure you'll be a great actress, but you know, you gotta have something to fall back on. You need to learn to type. That was all that was available to her as a woman. And um, I, I think it was Projection 101, She pre- and she also protecting me, protecting Protection 101. I think she she was afraid um, for me to want something so badly, and she was so afraid that I would be disappointed.
1: Tell yeah. me about your parents. Tell me about your home life.
2: My parents loved each other. My parents were partners. They were on the same team. They supported each other. It was a wonderful Model for both for all three of the kids. I have an older sister and a younger brother and we're two years apart My mother said she's a perfect example of the rhythm method, which is a very Catholic way of birth control um, But they uh, they love to sing. My dad was a wonderful tenor. He had a great ear for harmony. So do I um, They did uh, we, we were Catholic and uh, a lot of our social life was church And the people at church. We didn't go to church. We only went to church on Sundays, and that was kind of obligatory, but they did plays. They did a uh, thing every year called Port of Call, where every room in the uh, school was a a different Port of Call, like Scotland, Ireland, Hawaii, Bahamas, and they would do a show um, inspired by that Port of Call, and, uh, you know, that was my first experience of, oh my gosh, I want to be on stage. I loved it, and uh, you know, it was a real happy household. We sang a lot. Um, we loved musicals. Uh, but no one ever th- thought it was something, it wasn't like, oh, well, you're going to be on the stage and how go- wonderful for you. It was like, you can't do that. You, you, how, how are you going to do that?
1: Were you into sports? Were you an athlete? Yeah, or- I
2: loved sports. I loved, I played baseball, uh, sun up to sundown um, uh, with the boys, hardball and it was a it was tough sometimes some days they would decide they didn't want a girl playing with them and i was persistent some days they would ignore me and not pick me but i would just stay and wait i loved it i played softball in high school and basketball didn't like that so much but i'm tall so i was recruited right out of the hall and but that my my love of sports kind of uh... uh, went away and the love of theater and wanting to be on stage um, became my main focus
1: so you you're in high school And you want to be on stage. You're in some plays. Yeah. And you had a down moment. Yes. (laughs) Down time. What happened?
2: Well, this was my freshman year. I was cast in a um, one-act version of The Princess and the Pea called The Ugly Duckling, and I was cast as the king. And I always say it started that um, pattern of playing roles originally written for men. And um, I remember I killed in the audition, and then the first day of rehearsal... I didn't get the laugh I was expecting, and I quit. I quit, I became fearful, I thought I was going to be a failure, and I quit. And um, I was uh, given the reputation of a quitter, and no one cast me after that. You know, teachers wouldn't cast me. And it wasn't until my senior year that um, I took a theater arts class where we did a, um, a production of Godspell, and I got to be in it because I was in the class. But it was it was awful. It was, though I was, I cried so much, I was just, Oh, it was awful, and I, I also determined at that point that I would never walk away from uh, a part or an opportunity for fear, and I don't think I ever have.
1: What did you take away from that? That's carried forward with the rest of your life.
2: I don't. I don't walk away. I don't. I don't. Um, if I'm afraid of something, I take a deep breath
1: and I do it anyway. Lynch's can-do spirit was one of the main themes of her critically acclaimed 2011 autobiography. Happy Accidents. The book was a New York Times bestseller. It detailed her time as an undistinguished college student at Illinois State University. An experience she shared when she gave the commencement address to the Smith College class of 2012.
2: You've actually done far more than I was able to accomplish back on my college graduation day back in 1982. As a young person, I was a victim of overwhelming angst and free-floating anxiety. I spent a great deal of my time running around like a chicken with its head cut off. This ongoing frenzy caused me to send in my graduation registration without a stamp or a return address. After my four mostly unfocused years as a solid C student at Illinois State University, thank you, go Big Red. In the aptly named Normal, Illinois, (laughs) I sat where you now sit, hoping to God my name would be called and I would receive my diploma.
1: After, indeed, graduating, Lynch went east to continue her theater studies.
2: I got into the Cornell um, Masters program for acting, MFA program, Cornell in upstate New York, and well, now you're in the Ivy League. Yeah, now I'm in the Ivy League, but <laughs> it's funny it was, when you're in the Masters program, the undergraduates remind you that uh, you know you're not really in the Ivy League. You didn't have you know you didn't have to have great grades to get in there, but whatever. I'm in the <laughs> Ivy League, and I did this all on, um, on my own um, ambition. You know, my mother is still and parents are still saying. You know, this is not something you should look at as a career. In fact, I uh, secretly changed my undergraduate um, major to theater without them knowing. Um, I was in mass communications because that's kind of like theater. My mom said, <laughs> it's adjacent. Um, so I did this all on my own. I did the audition. I got the scholarship. And that was a great, great, great theater learning experience.
1: Lynch emerged from Cornell, a classically trained actor. And after a stint in New York, she went back home.
2: I went back to Chicago, because you can't come home again. (laughs) And I started doing theater in Chicago, which is a terrific, vibrant, non-equity theater scene. You know, I had the the absolute best time. I learned so much, I joined a Shakespeare company. um, That kind of kicked me out after a couple of years, because I was a little insufferable. I was classically trained, you know, and I knew better than everybody else. But uh, I still learned a lot, and we had a lot of fun, and um, it eventually led to, Uh, Second City, which kind of wasn't even on my radar, but it was one of the many auditions that uh, I had one week, and they cast me in their touring company.
1: Second City is a revered Chicago institution, an improv sketch comedy group that boasts a who's who of famous alumni. John Bellucci, Bill Murray, Tina Fey, Mike Myers, Stephen Colbert, and Amy Poehler, just to name a few. It was here that Jane Lynch turned her sights firmly on comedy.
2: And now all of a sudden I'm making money touring, not a lot of money, but it was a lot to me, touring around uh, the country in a bus with a bunch of other funny people. And I was like, I like this. I like sketch.
0: Thanks for listening to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. We'll be right back with more from Jane Lynch. Welcome back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Today's guest is Jane Lynch.
1: Jane Lynch has become one of the most famously openly gay actresses in Hollywood. In the summer of 2010, she married psychologist Laura Embry. The two have since separated and divorced, but a children's book they co-wrote while married is coming out later this year. It's called, Marlene, Marlene, Queen of Mean, about a young girl who's a bully. And it was inspired by Lynch's own personal life.
2: Uh, there was a part of me that was a bully. That was, um, you know, and it came from an insecurity and it came from my own fears. And for some reason, I got a jolt of righteousness if I told somebody else what to do. And, and I, uh, you know, someone deserved to hear what I thought about them. It gave me a false sense of power. And it was usually I would end up feeling guilty afterwards and um, uh, regretful. And um, so uh, my my ex, Lara, and I came up with this character, and Elizabeth Miksel, a friend of ours, um, called Mean Marlene, who was just this kind of bright, light, and fun, and everything. But she just could not help being mean, and it gave her negative attention. Mm-hmm. But it was attention, and I remember that um, I I would get a, like a hit off of that. I would get. Kind of a high from the negative attention because it's better than no attention at all oh. and um so we have this kid kind of go through her journey where it 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 uh, uh becomes better to make another choice and that you can still be who you are it's kind you know a person who kind of tells people what to do a real natural leader but does it in a way where people aren't intimidated and want to follow you
1: and you drew in your own experience for what we'll call your bullying eras
2: yes yes
1: are they completely over, or you still find yourself from time to time either wanting to bully somebody or actually bullying them?
2: Uh, oh, I think, um, you know, the flip side of that is not standing out for yourself, and I suffer from both of those things. <laughs> either I was, you know, uh, aggressively in your face or saying, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. So I've found equanimity in that. I, th- I think I can, uh, um, if I feel that, that, uh, uh, that fire in my belly where I want to say, you can't treat me that way, or, or, you know, pay attention to me. If I feel that coming up, I, I'm i able to soothe it and still ask for what I want, but in a way that might actually get me what I want. TV is a vast wonderland.
1: And Lynch has many reasons to be happy. In 2011, she hosted the Primetime Emmy. Let's go. No- And she now fronts a hit game show on NBC called Hollywood Game Night.
2: You'll need to sing a pop song only-
1: Which pairs regular people with celebrities okay, we'll in a showdown of pop culture speakers, knowledge. La we'll One of the creators of that show is Lynch's friend, Emmy award-winning actor Sean Hayes of Will and Grace fame.
2: Uh, for those of you at home who want to play along, put your hands over the screen right here. Like
1: this. Well, in terms of your career, mm-hmm. it's another big win.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, you have Glee, you have uh, Game Night. Right. Uh, you're now rich and famous.
2: <laughs> I'm famous. <laughs>
1: oh, come on, hit shows <laughs> I, I, like this, come on.
2: I've, I've got, yes, I'm, I'm doing quite well.
1: Well, yes. do you ever think back to those early yeah. years? When, by your own admission, you were a mean girl, a mean woman in some way. Yes, I certainly didn't didn't have. treat your colleagues all that well. Correct. Uh, tough on people under you. Mm-hmm. You changed. How and why did you change?
2: A lot of it is therapy with this wonderful teacher that I, I still call my teacher. Um. I and I I created a character called the angry lady out of this. Um. It all I know where all my it came from my fears and my insecurities and I would lash out from that and once I got a hold of that I took them out of the dark and put them in the light of day it, they they lost their power and I put them into this character called the angry lady that I did in my one person show where I wore a neck brace and an eye patch and I was suing everybody <laughs> for hurting me you know and I had this whole Thing that she would go through and at the end she was like
1: I will sue your ass
2: and I got to say that as Sue Sylvester a couple of times too <laughs> and I think once you do that and you make fun of it it has no power over you anymore.
1: You said fear and insecurity mm-hmm. how much of that do you think and you can only give me your opinion yeah. had to do with your struggle to find your sexual identity
2: yeah well that was a that was a big one I think um, you know you're a you're a, a young girl on, in the south side of Chicago in the 1960s, nobody's gay. As far as you know, you're the only person in the world with this affliction because you've heard it whispered about. Um, you know, uh, you hear about people talking about men who hold hands on the beach in Florida and there's something wrong with them. I remember a friend told me uh, that she saw that when she was on vacation in Florida. And and you think, Oh my God, I've got that. I have the girl version of that. You know that's, that uh, wreaks havoc on your sense of self as a young person. And um, you know it wasn't until y- you know I'm in New York, places like New York and I'm in the theater teeming with gays. Um, but even when I was in the '80s, uh, when I was in theater, uh, people weren't out. We knew, you know we'd look at each other and go, "I know who you are."
1: What you just described, you were, what, 13, 14, 15 yeah. years old? Did you share this with your family? Did you share it with friends? No. Oh, no,
2: no, no, no. I remember I wrote it in a journal, and I went to, like, the next town to throw it away. <laughs> um, uh, no, I didn't share it with anybody. I didn't tell my parents until I was 31. Yeah, I was really deeply ashamed and afraid of what You
1: were it afraid what their reaction yeah, would be.
2: I was afraid I'd be thrown away
1: but you weren't. I wasn't,
2: but I'll tell you what, when I was 18, if I told them, I don't think my parents would ever throw me away, but I think it would have been really difficult for them to deal with. Uh, But by the time I was 31, things had changed. Clinton was president. (laughs) And, um, you know, they didn't want to lose the relationship with me.
1: Did you tell them in person or call them?
2: I wrote them a letter. A therapist uh, told me, write them a letter. And, um, you don't have to send it. but that's, oh, but that's the ruse. technique. That's the, the ruse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the <a> technique. <laughs> so I wrote this beautiful letter, not thinking I had to send it. And it, um, I read it to my therapist. She said, oh, it's beautiful. And I said, I think I'll send it. And she said, "It's a good idea. And so I did. I sent them a letter, called my brother, and I said, are you sitting down? And he said, yeah, what's wrong? He thought I was going to say I was sick. And I said, I'm gay. And he said, oh, okay. Don't worry about it. Don't, I'll, I'll make sure I... I tell mom and dad there's a letter coming from you and that we'll, you know, we'll read it together. And I said thank you and that was and my parents thought the same thing in the first paragraph. They thought I was telling them I was sick. So when it, when I said I'm gay, they were
1: like, "Oh, thank God.
2: <laughs> She's just gay, honey." And my dad said, "That's okay, right?" And she said, "Of course it's okay.
1: Were you were you not fearful that if people found out it would hurt your career?"
2: I was fearful of that of of People finding out and hurting my career before my career took off, you know. And by the time I, you know, did Best in Show, um, I was fine with me. Um, I wasn't afraid at all. I didn't. Ha- I didn't. And I played a, a lesbian. It didn't even strike me that oh my gosh, my first big role where people will know who I am. I'm playing a lesbian. I never even thought of that. She has a very big heart. Um, She's generous, she's kind, she's sweet.
1: Vice versa. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. You just changed my life. Uh, And and as it turns out, she's a dynamite in the sack.
1: (laughs) I think you'd agree, and if you don't, you would say so, that in terms of our beloved United States of America, we've come a ways on gay and lesbian issues.
2: Well, in terms of time and progress... It's been, I mean, it really has. It's been just the last, the last, what we've done in terms of gay rights and acceptance of us as just being another way of loving in the last 20 years has been amazing. And I think it's kind of on its own thing. I can't really predict what will be next, but I bet marriage is going to continue. To, uh, it'll be uh, uh, nationwide, I'm sure, in our lifetime, in your lifetime.
1: It'll um, have to hurry. To yeah, do they're gonna, and lifetime. I think <laughs> I think
2: it will, and I think it will. I think there are just as in civil rights and the acceptance of even uh, black and white people marrying in some parts of this country is like in parts of Mississippi is just not accepted, and you know you can't uh, you 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 can't lose hope because of that. I think there are places where it's just. Not going to change, um, but I think for the most part, it's it's on its way. It's kind of like a a steady wildfire now that's just building up steam.
1: Well, at the risk of it being a cliche question, yeah, do you think you will live to see an openly gay and or lesbian president of the United States? Oh yeah, I, yeah, that'll happen.
2: Yeah, now, I'll be I'll be able you know young and spry enough to campaign for them should I find them worthy of my vote.
1: Today, Jane Lynch seems to have her life in order. Her extended and continuing success on Glee has made her a bonafide star.
2: Well, hello, She-Hulk, Weepy the Vest Clown, and little Miss Golden Marmoset. It's a Brazilian monkey. And seriously,
1: it's your spitting image. I'm gonna send you a photo. Fame and fortune have come to her relatively late for an actress and only after she conquered a demon that she says began in her teenage years alcohol
2: I drank every night I it bothered me I had debilitating hangovers Um, I was very depressed and I kind of had a moment of clarity one of those where the the veil lifts a little bit and and your higher self comes in and says no more And you're almost, like, I feel like I was tapped on the head by a a sobriety fairy, fairy, and I became sober.
1: At what age?
2: Thirty. Thirty-one.
1: And did uh, AA help with that? Yeah,
2: I went to AA for, like, eight or nine years, and, yeah, AA was great. Not only did it give me principles and, you know, steps, um, it it was a spiritually, it continues to be a spiritually-based program, which was really good for me, and it, um... Gave me a social life. I, all of my best friends were in the meetings.
1: But I want to ask you a fairly serious question. Okay. Who are you professionally and personally? First, professionally, who are you?
2: I'm on time and I'm serious, and yet I'm, I know how to have fun. Um, I like me professionally. <laughs> I like <laughs> who I am. I like my makeup artist, Liza, because she's fast, just like me. We show up, we do our thing. And um, you know, I, I love being invited to the party, so I make sure that people will want to reinvite me. You know, I, I don't press for great trailers. I don't ask for extra things. Although now I'm starting to, I'm starting to have a little more entitlement. Like I want to be able to do this, and like at Hollywood Game Night, I had to ask, and they said yes.
1: To what? To Fo-
2: I had to ask Fox, and bless them, they said yes. For a trailer. Yeah.
1: Well, I hope our trailer was to your liking and, mm-hmm. and the hot tub. Uh, We've got the note about the hot tub. Yes,
2: please, hot. Mm-hmm.
1: Good. All right, that's professional. Who are you personally?
2: Um, I'm an introvert, actually. I think uh, I just read an article on Huffington Post, are you an introvert? And I concluded, yes. <laughs> I think I am many things, but um, as we all are, but... Um, Currently, I'm calling myself an introvert, and that will probably change because I don't like to label myself too much. I like to spend time alone. I am never happier than when I look at my watch and it says 8.30, which means I can get into my pajamas, and I can get into bed with my books and my dog and my headphones and um, pop a melatonin. <laughs> and then, then I'm up at, like, 4.30, 5 o'clock. Um, but o'clock. Uh, and I have uh, a few friends. I have, like... Uh, 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 quality not quantity Um, I'm not a party person I have great anxiety at parties I like to host them which makes me also a good Hollywood game night host I think um, I'm very comfortable in that position
1: but not as a participant in the game not
2: as a participant no
1: why is it fear uh,
2: yeah I guess fear uh, I'm I'm not comfortable (laughs) I'm more comfortable um, being, like, in charge <laughs> and telling people what to do and, and leaving the space for them to have fun. Nothing makes me happier than when I see people on Hollywood game night jumping up and down and high-fiving and shaming each other. I love that. That's gold for me. Speaking with this person?
1: Are you talking, you, to me? you talk- yes, yes. talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to
0: me from Taxi Driver. Two points. That was
1: genius.
2: And I love throwing parties at home, um... Where I'll see two people who have never met before off in a corner laughing and, you know, an animated discussion. And I go, oh, they found each other.
1: Beginning to end, what's been the worst moment of your life?
2: Divorce is no fun. That was, that was, that was no fun.
1: And that's a wound that's still open?
2: It's not a wound, it's just, it's disappointing. You know, she's great, I'm great. Just didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I I don't feel wounded. You know, disappointed. Um, the worst. guess, yeah, something. I have rose-colored glasses. Um, you know, there are times that I, when I was a kid, like when my mother told me I couldn't have what I wanted. I remember that just uh, leveling me. You couldn't have your dream. You couldn't have my dream. One of the great things about this is uh, about this business is you get used to rejection. Of being told no, and you lick your wounds and you move on to the next thing. And well, you
1: try out and they say thank you very thank much. You're you not would, right for this job. Exactly,
2: role. and then oh, it's personal. It's it's. I will I attain, you know ever attain my dream, and you know I've just gotten better at that and thicker skin around that and an equanimity around it that I didn't have when I was younger. But uh, I, when I would lose a job when I was younger, it was awful.
1: Equanimity. Yes. Do you think you've reached that?
2: I have in many areas of my life.
1: Now I'm going to ask you the best moment in your life.
2: Oh, that's hard to say and hopefully um, I think I've had several. I think the best moments in my life was when I realized that I I have everything I need. Everything I need and I I don't have a moment. It's not, I can't say, oh, it's when I won an Emmy, oh, when I hosted the Emmys, oh, when I got Glee. those are supposed to be your highlights and they're not really, (laughs) those are almost numbing experiences. Um, I think it's the moments that I realize I have everything I need and my little dog too. And that's, yeah. You know, Greta Garbo always said, I don't need to live with my love. They need to live across the street.
1: You mentioned Greta Garbo earlier. In fact, early in our interview, you said she was your favorite actress.
2: I don't know exactly what it is, but there is a a sadness and a self-containment all at the same time. I, I, You know, she never had a lover. She had lovers, but she never had a mate. And she always reserved, even in love scenes, she's always reserved. She never gave
1: fully. You see yourself as sort of a modern-day, 21st-century Greta Garbo? Ah.
2: Huh. That would be sound... Um, completely immodest, I think, but um, I, see what, I see what you say. I, I think that, uh, yes, that part of her, you know, I, I don't give it up to everybody, even though I seem very accessible. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, I give it up to few, and I do most of my... Well, I'm giving it up to you right now. I mean, I, I, I choose, I guess. Um, uh, but I've, I've learned restraint, especially through becoming kind of famous. Um, uh, when to connect and when to hold back. And she held back a lot, all the time.
1: Jane Lynch has become famous by being part of a team, whether in Glee or in movies like Talladega Nights.
2: Right now, you boys listen up, and you listen good. Now, I am declaring granny law, and if you do not obey
1: granny law, I will paint your back porch red. She's played memorable characters as part of an ensemble. Overall, Lynch has appeared in over a 100 movies and TV shows. A beloved character actor in demand.
2: Huh. Okay, I really don't like it when you give me the huh. Huh.
1: (laughs) She's played alongside some of the biggest names in the business, like Meryl Streep in the 2009 film Julie and Julia.
0: Pasadena,
2: Jinx. Ooh, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, a, a leading lady. Um, I, I'm a, a character person, and uh, and in a way, there you know, I think there's more fun.
1: Well, I'm interested to hear you say that, if you don't mind carrying it forward. See, I think of you, and I think the public, uh, by and large, now thinks of you, is. star a superstar and a leading lady
0: yeah
2: yeah Um, I think that I'm I'm lucky in that I'm I you know uh, um, I'm a character actor who's um, famous but uh, and I think that um, uh, it would be really great to be the lead in something but I never have and perhaps that's something that I'm uh, I'm reaching for after this but I must say I love being a part of a group I've always wanted to be a part of an ensemble Um, I I love being a part of a group where we allow each other to shine. And that's what I loved about doing movies with, like, Steve Carell and Will Ferrell. The best joke always wins. They're the stars, and their name is above the title, but they're so generous, and they love being a part of a group, too. And and I've always, that's where I thrive, I think. Yeah, I I love ensemble comedy. It's my favorite thing.
1: Well, having promised that we were going to have some fun, heard any good jokes lately?
2: Oh, God. Yeah. I, I got a good one for you. Um... 80 uh, year old man, it's, let me make him even older, because I don't want to make fun of you. 97 year old guy. That's what I can it's take. It's his it. birthday. And knock, 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 and he opens the door, and a beautiful woman who says, I'm here to give you super sex. And he says, I'll take the
1: soup. <laughs> <laughs> I may be able to eat out on that. You know. <laughs> Well, you've, you've done so well, and I compliment you. I put you on the spot, heard any good jokes, and boom. Not only <laughs> did you tell a joke, but you told it well, it was a great joke. Thank you. And I want to thank you so much. Oh, been, thank you. You've given of yourself. Oh. I, I couldn't thank you. ask for anything more. I appreciate
2: it. I've really enjoyed talking to you, too, well, and meeting I've you. I've
1: enjoyed talking to you, and I've learned a lot.
2: Yeah, I have, too. I have, too. Thank you.
1: And that's the big interview for tonight. We're always eager to hear what you have to say, so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or send your comments to viewer at access.tv.
0: And that wraps up another captivating episode of Dan Rather's The Big In Review. Now remember, if you love what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, leave us a review and tell a friend. Thank you for joining us for Dan Rather's The Big Interview, where music and conversation unite.